There's a line in the Apostles' Creed. It's a, the Creed is a statement of faith that was written at the very, very beginning, earliest days of Christianity in the church. There's a line that says, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then after that line comes the line, he descended to the dead. Now, some other versions of the Creed are more om- ominous and mysterious at that point. And they say he descended into hell. A descent into hell, that is precisely the image that captures what we have just heard and what we are just forced to imagine. Hell is the place where evil takes over and goodness flees. It is where darkness extinguishes light, where ugliness smothers beauty, where hatred and cruelty shatter all peace and gentleness and kindness. That is the place where Jesus goes. It strikes me reading Matthew's gospel, just how dark it is. How much darker it is even than the other accounts. If you noticed in this story, we don't hear as we do in another account how Jesus healed the soldier's ear after one of his disciples cut it off. The robbers crucified next to Jesus, they mock him, but We don't get the story about how one of them begs Jesus for mercy and ends up receiving it. There's no tender moment of Jesus providing for his mother from the cross a new home with the beloved disciple John. There are only a few moments where a couple of minor characters act faithfully, but they're powerless to stop what's happening. What's highlighted in this story is Jesus' unrelenting descent into hell into the pit, the place where truth and beauty and goodness are overshadowed by the dark power of sin, sin with a capital S, sin and all of its lies and ugliness and evil. And everyone is implicated in this story. Every kind of person, every stripe of society shows up here. People high and low, people big and little. So the Gentiles are implicated. All the way from Pilate, the top Roman official, he gives an evil judgment for fear of the crowd, ignoring all evidence and all conscience and all reason. But also the ordinary Roman soldier who's never met Jesus before and yet humiliates him, spits on him, strips him naked in front of an entire battalion, all out of his own boredom and frustration. Gentiles are implicated. But also the very people of God, Israel, are implicated in the evil. The top religious officials staging a trial based on falsehood and pretense, all the while clinging to the law, saying we can't put this blood money in the treasury, but they'll buy a field with it. The top officials are implicated but even all the way down to the ordinary Israelite in the crowd who mocks a crucified man. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Not to mention the disciples who act selfishly and cowardly from Peter, the highest rank, down to Judas. When evil descends on Jesus' head, everyone is implicated. And at the same time, that evil, ugliness, and lies descend on Jesus, all goodness, truth, and beauty flee away. The leader of the disciples, Peter, fails to speak truth 
about Jesus, about the one he loves, explicitly lying three times that he even knows the man. No one in the crowd during the trials speaks up and tells of the goodness that Jesus has done. The torture, the brutality, the shame stripping Jesus naked, all of it is so ugly that we can barely bear to listen to it. Much less if we saw it playing out in front of our eyes, could we look at it? Jesus is the only one here who is good and beautiful and true. He is utterly forsaken and alone. And eventually, Christ Jesus, the word of God, falls silent. And the jeering of evil takes over. And the power of sin takes center stage. And it's here that Jesus reaches the utter depths of his descent. And two things happen when Jesus reaches the very bottom. For one, the creation itself melts into uncreation. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there is darkness over the entire land. The creation itself puts on funeral garb and mourns mourns the horror of the death of its creator and sustainer, and the anger and sadness of God blot out the sun. And it's at that point that we hear an echo of the first darkness, the first words of Genesis, that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Here the whole creation unravels, as it were, into uncreation, because the light of the world is extinguished and the source of life is cut off from the land of the living. Jesus has gone to the utter depths and creation itself is undone. But we also see Jesus at the very bottom of the depths by the last words that are found on his lips here. Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. It's the only place in Matthew's entire gospel where he quotes Jesus in the original Aramaic that he would have spoken. As if to say, these are holy words, and this is holy ground that we are standing on, and I dare not touch it. We are on holy ground as we stand on the threshold of Jesus' death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, what's going on is not just some big event on a cosmic scale that we can barely grasp. But Jesus reaches the utter depths of every single one of us. He reaches the utter depths of the human story, the utter depths of you and me. It is profound that Jesus' last words are a question. Why? Because that is the question, isn't it? Who, what, when, where? These are questions that we can solve. These are things that we can record and look up. We can use our incredible ingenuity and creativity to discover all sorts of answers to the question, how? But why? Why is a question we struggle to answer? Sometimes we find it. Often we don't. And when it matters most, we don't. We can answer who, what, when, and where, and how when it comes to a shooting at an elementary school, the most recent one in Nashville a few weeks ago. But why? That answer is blank. 
In fact, any answer that's given is downright offensive. There is too much darkness there to be able to see anything. There's too much ugliness to look it in the face. There's too much madness and absurdity to be able to discern any truth, to begin to make any sense of it. At the bottom of the history of human suffering stands the question, why? And at the bottom of every person stands the question, why? In a room this large, I know that a number of you have reached the bottom where the only word left is why. And some of you maybe haven't yet. But at some point, there's no escaping it. And you can distract yourself from it. You can focus on just being kind and living a good life while you live. But there will come a day when, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. There will come a day when we face the threshold of death and we'll face it alone and we'll face our creator alone. And Jesus is there. He is found in this place on the threshold of death, asking the great human question, why? He set his face like flint to get here. He didn't want to go. He asked his father three times if there was another way, but it was the plan that he and his father devised from time immemorial. So he went. He went because that's where we are. There's an episode of The West Wing, if you're not familiar with this show. It's a show about a White House administration. There's an episode where there's an assassination attempt on the president, and several people are critically injured. One of the characters in the show um, struggles severely with PTSD, with trauma after this incident. And another character named Leo, who's the chief of staff, goes in to talk to this guy. Now, Leo is a, was a veteran, uh, Vietnam veteran whose plane was shot down in the war and who was injured. And Leo goes in and he tells this character a story. He says, there was once a man who fell into a deep pit and couldn't find his way out. And people would pass by the pit and he would yell and, and he would scream for help and, and people would just pass by. No one was able to really do anything. Until one day, a friend sees him and jumps in the pit with him. And the guy says, why did you do that? Now we're, now we're both in the pit together. But his friend says, yes, but I've been here before, and I know the way out. You see, Jesus plunged in to the depths of the pit because we are there, and we could find no way out. There is no human solution to fix what is broken, either the big problems of this world or the brokenness of our own hearts. There is no human response adequate to the power of evil. The horrors are too great, the suffering too terrible for any religious answer to be of any help. In all religion, it is only the story of the crucified God that can stand up to the challenge of the long history of human wickedness. Because a crucified God means that there is a God who is both willing and able 
to go there himself. And he's the only one who knows the way out. To free us from the curse. Who knew it would look like this? Who knew it would look like him becoming a curse for us, as us? We who put ourselves under a curse, who submitted to the chains of slavery. We who are this dizzying mixture of perpetrator and victim, of sinner and sinned against. Who can unwind this mess? Who can free these kind of captives? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only one knows the way out. He is the way. Only one can answer the ultimate question, why, with a truthful answer. Because he is the truth. Only one can answer death. Because he is life. Only the creator can bring new creation. The one who spoke creation into existence out of his utter peace and love will speak it again, but this time at a terrible price to himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Only he can transform us. Ultimately, Christ descends into the very hell from which he delivers us. That is what he underwent to remake our human nature. Not to improve it, not to accept it, not even to perfect it, but to remake it all together. Now what about you? If you have ever experienced a lie that has swallowed up the truth, or ugliness ravage beauty, or evil obscure goodness, then you have tasted what Jesus drank to the dregs. You can know he was there. There is no depth that you can sink to that he has not been there. No pit that you can be trapped in that he has not been in before. And he will ultimately lead you out. He was there. As the psalmist says, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The defeat of God on Friday ends in victory on Sunday. Because for the first time ever, ever, death is swallowed up by life, not the other way around. And the lies of the accuser and the slanderer are swallowed up by the truth. And the horrific ugliness of even the cross, a scene we could barely stand to look at if we saw it in real life, even that ugliness he has made beautiful. Its beauty is with us here in the sanctuary right now. The golden light of heaven shines through it. It is the beauty of the very love of God on physical display. God's infinite capacity to love and forgive and heal right there for our eyes to see. It is the scene that is most depicted in artwork. This is the hinge of history. History will not spiral into hell and madness and confusion, but it will end in resurrection and new creation. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus built.
This is the purpose of our life, to find our truth here, to behold the beautiful one, to love the good one, to become like him, the one who is so immersed in God and in the depths of the God-forsaken creature that he was torn asunder. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.